0: To the excellent question of what has been going on in China this week, there is a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is something very definitely is happening, but nobody is entirely certain what. The longer and hopefully more instructive answer is the rest of this explainer. We'll start with what we do know, that this week, protests against China's COVID-19 measures have been plausibly reported in cities across the country. There is verifiable footage of demonstrations by Chinese people demanding some semblance of their pre-pandemic lives back. I really think that the government's policy against the COVID is too strict, and it's violating our rights as a common human. And some folks, rather more boldly, demanding that President Xi Jinping, recently all but confirmed as China's leader for life, step aside. These protesters have abundant reason for grievance. China is coming up for three years of near-total international isolation and grimly pervasive domestic restrictions, all imposed in the name of China's brutally rigid zero-Covid policy. Arguably a worthy aspiration at the beginning of the pandemic, but now an impotent flail at the ceaseless tide with a threadbare broom. So that's the what and the why. Which brings us to the why now. There appear to have been two significant triggers for this discontent. One is a fire which broke out in a tower block in Urumqi, capital of Xinjiang province, late last week. Ten people were killed and a narrative quickly took hold that the death toll had been exacerbated by COVID lockdowns. The suggestion being that no leeway had been permitted, even for people whose building was ablaze. Videos show fire trucks unable to get close to the scene because the compound entrance was partially blocked. The video shows it's blocked with fences, tents and metal barriers that are normally used as part of Covid measures. The video shows smoke and flames coming from a high floor of the building, but the water failing to actually reach the fire. Local authorities denied this charge, but did issue an apology, which is uncommon, especially in Xinjiang, the province in which China is routinely accused of conducting repressions up to and including genocide against the region's largely Muslim Uyghur minority. The other trigger might be, a butterfly flaps its wings, etc., the World Cup. China did not qualify for Qatar. China has, in fact, only qualified for one World Cup in 2002, where they lost all three group games, didn't score a goal and conceded nine and it could have been much worse had Brazil not rather put their cue in the rack once Ronaldo had knocked in their fourth. <laughs> Nevertheless, hundreds of millions of Chinese are watching the World Cup, perhaps even more than might have been if they were allowed outside. This means that, despite the efforts of Chinese broadcasters to censor some crowd shots, hundreds of millions of Chinese have been watching the world the maskless, mingling, moved-on world. Added to all of which, China is presently experiencing its worst surge of COVID-19 cases since the virus first emerged from Wuhan. It is, all things considered, not as easy as it once was for the Chinese Communist Party to make the case that it is right and everyone else is wrong. The question is, now what? As a general rule, public protests against authoritarian regimes can go one of three ways. One, they can fizzle, usually when the powers that be are sensible enough of their own long-term interests to stand back and permit an amount of steam to blow off. Two, they can be crushed, and the CCP infamously demonstrated its willingness to do that in Tiananmen Square in 1989. Three, they can acquire an irresistible momentum with astonishing consequences. We are approaching the 12th anniversary of the self-immolation of a small-town Tunisian fruit seller named Mohamed Bouazizi. He just wanted local council officials to stop picking on him and ended up redrawing the Middle East. But it is always prudent to apply an amount of perspective to public protest, however unusual or spectacular. Even if, and to be clear, this is a number plucked from thin air, not an estimate of the present protests, one million Chinese had taken to the streets, it would still mean that 1.4 billion Chinese had not. Such is the difficulty with silent majorities for governments and their opponents. It's quite hard to know what they're thinking. And uh, yes, there are people who are afraid because I do see that uh, there are videos of policemen catching people and I know what happened next. As of this recording, protests are reported to be continuing in several cities, and there have been a few hesitant hints from on high of a relaxing of some restrictions. Or, as outlined in the witheringly bland prose of official Chinese media, authorities are ramping up measures to rectify a one-size-fits-all approach, prevent excessive policy steps, and avoid arbitrarily enlarging the quarantine scope or loosening the control measures without careful analysis. This, however, could cause authorities still further problems by way of accelerating the current outbreak. China's vaccination rates are relatively low, especially among vulnerable elderly people, and China's vaccine, Sinovac, is less effective than those prevailing elsewhere. And the last thing authoritarian governments ever wish to be dealt in such circumstances is a wild card. Earlier this week, former President Jiang Zemin died. That, in itself, is not surprising. He was 96, but his passing will need to be commemorated and his legacy will be discussed. That of a relative reformist who favoured a moderately more enterprising and outgoing China and who rose to power just after a previous generation of leadership had driven tanks over China's impatient youth. For Monocle24, I'm Andrew Muller.